Good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Today we are going to be studying verses 5 to 8. Last week we looked to verses 1 to 4. This is the final letter from Paul to his dear friend, to his dear son in the faith, to his apprentice. In these verses we read Paul's final words to Timothy. Last week we studied Paul's charge to Timothy, a charge that was to preach the word, in other words, to preach the gospel message. Paul exhorted Timothy to be ready at all times, to be ready to share the gospel, and he warned him about the challenges that he will face for being faithful to his charge. As Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, he was in jail. Literally, he was in chains, and he was waiting for his execution. He knew that his end on earth was near, and he took this opportunity to ensure that his son in the faith, to ensure that Timothy had a clear reminder of God calling in his life. In today's verses, we clearly saw Paul's victory declaration regarding this faithfulness to God's calling in his life. He looks forward to reuniting with Christ. He seeks to encourage Timothy and the other saints towards the same goal. This morning, we are going to be studying verses 5 to 8. And we are going to study this in three parts. First, we are going to be looking at Paul's call to faithfulness. Second, we are going to be looking at Paul's examples of faithfulness. And third, Paul's assurance of God's faithfulness. In our church, we always want to partner with faithful missionaries around the world. We pray for them. We support them. And we try to visit them to see their worth. Last fall, I'm pretty sure you remember, we have Reverend Andy Jong from Otford visiting us. And also we have Reverend Harrison Mungai, and he visited us from Kenya. We heard firsthand of their ministry, and we heard them preach, and we heard them teach the Word of God. In this way, we are able to learn about their ministry. We are able to confirm that there are faithful teachers and there are faithful teachers and preachers of the Word of God. This model is the model that we find in the book of Acts and throughout the letter of the apostles in the New Testament. This is not something that our church invented, but rather it's a faithful model through the history of the church for supporting the spread of the gospel. We don't have to invent or to come out with something new, with something innovated to preach the word of God. Instead, brothers and sisters, we need to be faithful to the ordinary means of grace and support others who are like-minded. Now, if you have your Bibles, please read with me 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 8. I charge you in the presence of God 
and of, of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the word of evangelists, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love and for our good. First, we're going to be studying together Paul's calls to faithfulness. I want you to read with me again verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the word of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. I want you to see that in this verse, is pressing on Timothy, the need to continue with his ministry. Paul is moving from warning in the previous verses of the people with itching ears who will no longer want to hear the sun doctrine, but people who will search out for teachers that they want them to tell them what they want to hear. Now, in verse 5, we see Paul contrasting Timothy a minister called to faithful preaching and teaching, and those teachers who do not take the charge faithfully, who do not take the charge seriously, and who instead adapt the gospel message to their needs or to their agendas. We know that the verse says is directed to Timothy, to the faithful teachers of the word, because Paul starts this verse by saying, as for you, Timothy, so he ends the previous verse discussing those who turn away from the truth and change the emphasis to return to Timothy. And he means, that's not you, Timothy. You are different. It is what you need to focus on. And he gives Timothy four commands, four imperatives. First, Always be sober-minded. Second, endure suffering. Third, do the word of an evangelist. And fourth, fulfill your ministry. Always be sober-minded. This is a command to keep your mind clear, to clear your mind balance. Paul reminds his son in the faith that he must remain sober both literally and spiritually. If he hopes to be faithful because what happens when we panic and we stress comes into our lives? We have to be grounded in the word of God. We have to be grounded in prayer 
So when the panic comes, don't overcome us and send them spiraling into self-finish and self-centered behaviors. But instead, we must be focusing on God and his word and his will for our lives. Paul is instructing Timothy and us too not to let ourselves intoxicated by the sensationalists, by the false teachers, those who are teaching something that might sound great at, on the surface, but it's something that is not according to the word of God. Paul is urging Timothy not to stray away from the serious nature of the gospel. I want you, you can almost hear Paul's voice saying, Timothy, please stay calm, stay sane, and stay sober in this world. This is an important exhortation for the ministers of the gospel because we want to see faithful ministries. We want to see large numbers of people that come to salvation and respond to the gospel message. But we must remember that we are only instruments in God's hands. And foremost, we are called to be faithful witnesses and before Therefore, we don't want to preach something sensationalist, something that is not faithful. With the purpose of seeing more growth in our church, we have to be faithful to the word of God. Then Paul tells Timothy, endure suffering. This is a familiar theme in this letter. Let us not forget that when Paul writes this letter, he's in prison. His death is to come, and he reminds us all all this throughout his letter. Reading through the book of Acts, we see how Paul endures many trials, some actual trials in courts, and other difficulties in his life as he ministers and as he preaches the word of God. Paul also mentions a physical problem that he's suffering all through his ministry. Clearly, Paul's calls from Jesus was not a call for an easy life, brothers and sisters. Instead, he was called for a life of suffering. Here, he's reminded in warning Timothy that he will also have to endure suffering for preaching the word of God, for being faithful to the word of God. This is not an easy job as we will see in the next verses, and at the end, all be worth it. Paul's idea here is not merely surviving situations, but instead maintaining his faith and Christian's perspective during hard times in life. Paul is telling his son in the faith that suffering afflictions for Christ's sake should be considered as a part of our service to our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is exhorting Timothy to continue to perceive with the hope in his eyes, eyes fixed in eternal life. This is not only a call for Timothy, this is a call for us, for you and me. It is a call to preserve in all good despite the inevitable reality of suffering for the gospel. I want you to hear what Pastor Legan Duncan wrote. When hardship comes into our lives, 
instead of questioning whether God exists or questioning whether God loves us or questioning whether he really has a good purpose for us in our lives or wondering about whether we can go on, we ought to be ready to embrace that hardship, to endure it for Christ's sake. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Timothy, you be ready to embrace and endure that hardship. The third command or the third imperative is do the work of evangelists. The word evangelist refers to someone who brings or announces the good news of salvation. In other words, a preacher of a teacher of the gospel. Timothy was to preach the word of God in season and out of season as we saw last week. He has to share the good news of grace. He has to tell others the wonderful truth about Christ, that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that he's coming again, and he has to teach them in spiritual growth and Christian living, and he has to do it patiently. Paul tells Timothy that he must undertake the work of preaching the gospel. All Christians and specifically, all ministers of the words have the responsibility of being a herald of all the truth about God, of the hope of the gospel, of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This does not only include our former teachers like I mentioned it to you before. We have opportunities in our life, in our daily lives, when we are in a small settings, simple discussions, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, at home, with our kids. Friends, we are praying for the gospel to reach out every corner of the earth. As we partner with our church, with faithful missionaries around the world. But are we doing our part here and now? Are we being heralds of the gospel of salvation every time that we are presented here with opportunity here in Houston? Are we doing it in our neighborhood? Are we doing it when we are at work? Students, are you doing it when you are at school? Or are you doing it when you even are at home? Are we preaching the gospel message with our own testimony? And with our actions, with the way we live our lives, are we doing it? The final imperative in this verse is fulfill your ministry. Paul is exhorting his son in the faith to continue his ministry. He's calling him to endure to the end. Paul's first instruction to Timothy was specific. Timothy has to never give up when difficulties arose, but he has to keep on to the very end to accomplish the purpose for which he was called. What was this purpose in this ministry? The charge that Paul had just given him in 2 Timothy 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and not a season, reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
This is not an additional calling or charge. This is a reaffirmation of what Paul just had stated, an emphasis on continually, faithfully, in this world until it was complete. Timothy, calling was to complete his assignment and then go home to the arms of his Savior. As Hendrickson states, the set of commands leading into verses 6 to 8 draws a contrast between Timothy, still in the thick of the fight, and Paul, who has fought for the grand fight. Friends, brothers, sisters, you and I did not have the opportunity that Timothy had to be taught directly by Paul, but instead, we have something better. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and who has promised to guide us into all truth. But along with this, we also have the responsibility to observe and take notes of false words and of warning, to follow his instructions and in how to live a Christian life and to be sober in all things, how to endure hardships, to do the work of evangelists and fulfill our ministry. This truth applies to you and me. And this takes us to our second point, Paul's examples of faithfulness. Pastor William Barclay describes verses 6 and 8 as a short, as a targeted section that provides a model for believers as how they ought to live and how they ought to die. Please read with me verses 6. For I already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. We read Numbers 15. When a lamb was sacrificed, the last step of happening in the sacrificial offering was the spilling of the wine right next to the altar. So Paul is telling Timothy that he's being poured out as the final part of the sacrificial ceremony. He's using an Old Testament image to describe his life. Paul said to his son in his faith, I have been poured out for the gospel. I have expended every ounce of energy in me for the gospel. I have been poured out like a libation. And he exhorts Timothy to do the same in his life. Pastor King Hughes comments, the image of red wine splashing down upon the altar became an operative metaphor of how Paul regarded his life. Some five years early, Paul had written to the Philippians about the possibility of his death, describing it as being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of their faith. There it was hypothetical. Now, as he cries to Timothy, it is actual. Paul knows that his death is imminent. The phrase, for I am already being poured out as a drink offerings, points to a libation sacrifice. The pouring out of the drink offering, the pouring out of the wine, was the final act of the sacrificial ceremony. So it's Paul's life, as Paul's life is approaching to this final act. 
He's trusting that God is in control. The second part of verse 6 reads, and the time of my departure has come. Friends, for believers, death is not the end. But like Pastor Harris continually reminds us from here from the pulpit, is passing from the life of the dying to the land of the living. Of, as a pastor Barclay explained, the death of the Christian doesn't mean the end of existence, but rather living this life to enter the next. And the apostle, he rested in this assurance. In Philippians 1.21, he wrote, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is Paul's security in his life, and this should be your security and my security, dear Christian. You should not be afraid of death. You should rest in the certainty that Jesus Christ already defeated death, and dying is gain in Christ. And that should be our security every day. Friend, this is how we, the one who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, must take up our cross and walk as, uh, alongside our Savior, Jesus Christ, our, in death, in life, and the life to come. David lived this truth in his life. In Psalm 23, 6, 23 verse 6, we see, and he, re he writes, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We can trust and we can rest in this truth too. It's interesting when we translate this verse in, uh, that we read in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good five, I have finished the race, and I kept the five. Literally in Greek says, the good fight I fought, the race I finished, I, the faith I kept. I want you to notice that each verb takes the perfect sense. We read about the fight, which Paul fought for years. Now he can offer results, a life led faithfully. Paul endured beatings, he endured prison, he endured accusations, enmity, physical issues, and the daily pressure and concern of the churches that he serves. Now Paul intends to exhort Timothy and the following generations of believers that whether when they are facing persecution, when they are facing criticism, when they are facing prison or relentless words, we must always stand firm, remembering that this is the price of following Jesus, taking up our cross and following him. As Pastor Richard Phillips explains, may we, like Paul, fight the good fight, in saying that the battle is good or noble, Paul refers to the excellence of the cast, not the performance. We should hope to locate a noble cast. At the end, we long to hear Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, and to tell him, 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. We can see Paul's evaluation of his life and mission as his life comes to an end. He transmits confidence in the Lord in having faithfully fulfilled his apostolic mission, although for this reason he's facing death for being faithful in preaching the gospel. I want to see in the physical analogies on 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. We see the language of warfare here, the language of a soldier who is ready, who is being faithful to his commanding officer and fighting to the end. And then he say, I have finished the race. This may refer to a race of a sporting contest in which Paul is presented as the victor, as an athlete, athlete. He has competed according to the rules. These images often work in the Greek Roman world. In this way, Paul indicates that the victory consists in part of having lived a Christian life with integrity until the end, making him an appropriate example for Timothy. Paul accomplished everything that Christ has called him to do in his life. The images in this verse also were today in our culture. This particular verse itself is being used almost as a slogan or a theme for a Christian life. You will find it in plaques. You can find it in a coffee mug. In books, they are printed. It's also a popular verse that can be used uh, as a theme for a vacation Bible school. In fact, this verse, one year for soccer camp, we use it here. It's a noble and worthy summary of what it means to live a Christian life. But brothers and sisters, we must not forget the depth of these words that they refer to the charge it was given to Timothy in verse 2 that was to preach the gospel, to be ready in season and out of season, to fulfill this charge and to do it faithfully, as Paul describes. Pastor William Barclay explained, amazingly, Paul called his ministry the good fight. Some will think otherwise of a life that leads to a trial and martyrdom, but the Christian who has been called and redeemed by Christ, known that a life in dedication to Christ is good. It's, it is life itself. And only the Christian who has lived with such focus and commitment to Christ will face death with the same satisfaction, satisfaction and confidence as Paul does. It is easy for us to fall in the pattern that suffering is bad and something that we must avoid in our lives. But Paul here is encouraged us to have a different perspective. That suffering, the good fight, is something that us, the believers, we should expect. There is something that the Lord uses to show us his provision and sustenance for us and teach us to become more like him through these fights and through this race 
The Holy Spirit will always be with us, brothers and sisters. And Jesus will continue to intercede for you and me at the right hand of the Father. Finally, in this verse, Paul said, I have kept the faith. At the very edge of eternity, of living this earth, Paul can say of himself, I have kept the faith. I have not lost any part of the good deposit that God had entrusted me. He has kept it and treasured it. And he tells Timothy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, keep the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul has prevented his treasure from being mistreated, for being distorted by those who will try to twist it and use it to their own agendas, to their own purposes. He has answered critics. He has warned his followers not to go astray as he does in this very epistle. From this verse, then, our prayers, brothers and sisters, should be, Lord, grant me the grace to participate in the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. I thank you that you are faithful to allow me to do so assured that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6. And this leads us to our final point, Paul's assurance of God's faithfulness. Finally, we see in verse 8, how Paul goes from reflecting of his current ministry to thinking about what God has in store for him in the future. Please read again with me verse 8. Henceforth, there is laid out for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous God, will award to me one day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Please pay attention to the final image in verse 8. It's the image of a crown. Paul is using an athletic analogy again. The crown worn by the Greeks when they won an athletic event, those crowns were highly appreciated and they were of great value. But here Paul speaks of a different crown, of a better crown with a better and greater value, without early comparison, he writes about a crown that he will receive the same crown that you and I will receive one day. Paul tells Timothy, henceforth there is laid out for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. Paul reminds Timothy that Jesus Christ is the righteous judge, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The righteous judge had already given Paul his righteousness when he believed, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, 
for our sake, I made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But Paul now waits for the crown of righteousness, righteousness that is the maximum, the permanent state of justice. I want you to notice the Roman emperor was about to declare Paul guilty and condemn him to death. But Jesus Christ, the righteous God, was about to declare him righteous. God called Paul to live a life of service to him. He provided for Paul every day of his ministry here on earth. And just, just as he was faithful to Paul during his time of ministry, Paul, at this moment, he has a complete confidence that God will remain faithful to his death. Just as Pastor Harris has been preaching from Genesis 1, God's character is unchanging. He was faithful at the time of creation as he was when Paul lived, as he is now, brothers and sisters, and he, as he will be for the rest of eternity. Our God is a faithful. Our God is true. The Westminster Shorter Catechism speaks to this in question four, asking, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And friends, we see in this verse that Paul does only speak about the promise of his own crown, but reminds Timothy that this crown is for all of those who belong to Jesus Christ. He says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. The same crime of righteousness awaits for you and me, those who are being redeemed by the blood of Christ, those Genuine believers are those who love and long for the appearance of Jesus Christ. A sure evidence of saving faith is having one's heart set on Christ. Unbelievers fear the coming of Christ, but as believers, brothers and sisters, we long, we love for his second coming. As one commentator wrote, this vision will keep you running the race. Do you see Jesus? There he is. You are getting closer. Keep running. Keep fighting. Keep guarding. Soon you will see him as he is. Then you will see his scarred hand and look into his majestic eyes. His lips will move and he will say, well done. He will place a crown on your head. And that day, you will not regret fighting. You will not regret running and enduring for his name's sake. Friends, we are called to share God's words. We are called to share the good news of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And in living out this calling, Paul shared these verses that we should expect hardships, that we should expect suffering, that is the race, that is the good fight. 
and we must fulfill this charge. But he doesn't leave us without hope. Our hope is in the Lord and in his abundant love for us. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you and I are unable to live. He died for our, for our sins as a perfect sacrifice. He rose after three days. He conquered the death and he ascended into heaven and now he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and I with the Father. He has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell with us until he returns. And Jesus did all of this for his elect to bring us out of death into life through him. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul does not have an attitude of fear talking about his imminent death. He looks forward to being with Jesus in glory. And he looks forward to glorifying and enjoying him forever. He shared this vision with Timothy as he's sharing it with you and me. Brothers and sisters, do you long for our Lord Jesus to return? Can you look back to your life and say like Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have run the, I have run the race, and I have been faithful? Are your eyes set on the prizes of this world? Or are your eyes set on eternity and the promise of a communion with Christ? Paul is using this, uh, these verses to help Timothy to focus on the future hope that is promised to us through Jesus Christ. In these verses, Paul is calling you, he's calling me to focus in the same hope, that our hope is not here in this earth, and our time in this earth will end. Friends, place your hope in the Lord. Keep your eyes firmly fixed in him. Let's pray. Father, Lord, our God, grant that by your grace we might be good soldiers of Jesus Christ, that we might be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. May the Lord preserve his faithfulness in the ministry of the church and his faithfulness in loving to hear the word's preached. And we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.